Welcome to Saturday Morning Statistics. This is a new event, and I'm happy to have you here. Principally, we're here to explore statistics of cannabis data, and we also want to walk away at the end of the day with a beautiful visualization for a couple of reasons. One, when you have large data sets, you need some way to convey the data to people and to yourself, and visualizing the data is useful, informative, and can impress and persuade your colleagues. Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into things. The prior weeks, we looked at data from Massachusetts, just for convenience sake, so we can already have a data set ready to go. Just going to go ahead and read in some packages. We probably won't read them all. And we can go ahead and grab the data sets that we've been working with. So this will be the production data for Massachusetts. So uh, I cannot able to see your screen right now. That would be helpful. So long story short, I was just showing this page here, Saturday morning statistics. And now centrally, I've just fired up Spider. You can also use Visual Studio if you prefer. We'll open up Saturday morning statistics. And we'll run this in the interactive terminal over here. Essentially, we'll be using the same data, data from Socrata again. So we'll want to, you know, read in the production data. And just to remind you what data points we're working with here, sales data, we've got plant data, and we even have employee data. Those are the three that I find the most interesting out of this data set. Last week on Wednesday, we showed oh, how you could estimate sales, and we estimated with monthly data. Well, today, since you signed up for Saturday's statistics, I thought I would treat you and do an even better forecast of sales. So we used monthly data, and I'm going to let you in on a trick, or not a trick, but a technique that I like to use that can be useful for forecasting. Because, right, the monthly frequency is not quite granular enough, but if you look at the sales data, it's quite volatile. And so it can be hard to predict medium term. So I've found that weekly frequencies are useful for predicting short to medium term because you smooth out enough of the volatility that you can have useful forecasts. However, there's still enough volatility that you'll have dynamic forecasts and they'll likely be more informative than if you're using a monthly series. And so this is something that I've come to after, you know, years of doing forecasting, right? Because it's tough to find the right frequency. And so since you signed up, I'll go ahead and let you in on that nifty little uh, bit of information, right? So if we you know, plot weekly sales, you'll see that there's still, and here I'm um, restricting it to after, here, let's actually recalculate this without restricting the time frame yet. So here, here you see weekly sales. You have a bit of volatility. However, you can see that the series is significantly smoother than daily. And then if we plotted the monthly, you, you're really lacking a lot of volatility. You're, you have a pretty smooth series, and your forecasts aren't going to be very dynamic. 
this is sort of like the you know the story where there's the the three three bears and um you know the one porridge is too hot one's too cold and one's just right well this is the similar way with forecasting the daily series a little too volatile monthly not volatile enough for 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 good forecasts and i've found weekly is a nice sweet spot for what we're doing which is medium to to long which is short to medium term so we're forecasting the rest of 2021 which i would consider short term and then 2022 which i would consider medium term if you're predicting through say 2030 you may want a bit more of a structural model that is similar to the approaches we've used in other weeks where you actually want to use a theoretical approach so that way you can capture some of the slower moving variables but for today our analysis should be sufficient for what we're trying to forecast ah i forgot i even put together a small presentation um just to to give you an intro into the statistics right because i want to share some statistics and knowledge with you where i found a lot of my knowledge and i would recommend it to you is economic and business forecasting by john sylvia azair iqbal and crew so these are some brilliant professors i've had professor iqbal and i found this book is it's not overly technical but it's technical enough that you can be rigorous so this is a good approach to forecasting you know in actual applications so if you're actually doing business forecasting then that's a great book because you get your hands on data you use advanced statistical models and you're rigorous enough to defensible forecasts so not that you need to defend them but they're justified anyways in the book so john silva sylvia and professor iqbal introduced the 10 commandments of forecasting and I found these are useful and a good starting ground. So that way, you know, okay, you can outline how you're going to start, how you're going to go about forecasting, and then you can turn it into an iterative process so that you can rinse and repeat and pick it up again the next month. Because you don't just want to make forecasts and then leave them there. You want to make forecasts, check them right? You want to check your predictions. So we'll make predictions here and we'll save them. And then in the future, we'll compare the actuals to the forecasted. Calculate what's called a root mean squared error. So this is where you take your predicted minus the actual. So, so you, this is the actual minus your predicted y hat. You take the square and then you divide by the number of observations. And then you take the square root. And so this is a measure of forecast error. So you want to minimize your root mean squared error. So this is a measure that you can use to compare different forecasting models. So if we can calculate forecasting model A and forecasting model B, well, we can let them play out and then we can compare the root mean squared error and whichever has the lower is the more accurate on average 
So it can be a way to assess your forecasting models out of sample. Here are 10 commandments of forecasting. So we first and foremost need to know what we're forecasting, then the purpose. We need to acknowledge that nothing's perfect and you need to plan accordingly that the forecasts may over or under forecast. You need to rationalize the horizon, short, medium, long-term, and understand what models and what variables to use in each situation. So that's five and six. Then you need to know how to present the results. I recommend reading to many people, and I'll recommend it to you. You should check out Edward Tuft. Really, if you got any Edward Tuft book, that would add a lot of value to you. He's got several. He's got four or five, and they're all outstanding. Some of the topics do repeat. There is the diminishing marginal returns to to his books. However, each one does have a marginal return. Get as many as you would like. One would provide a lot of value. So that's my recommendation um, for knowing how to present data, how to decipher the forecasting results. Once again, economic and business forecasting, because this helps you with metrics that judge your models, right? And so we'll actually go over that a bit today since we're doing a bit more of the advanced statistics here on Saturday morning statistics. And so we'll talk about measures that you can use to judge how well your models fit and if they're accurate or if your assumptions may be broken because some of your forecasting models have certain assumptions built into them. Finally, 9 and 10, that's where you revisit your forecast, revisit your model, adapt your, adapt your model, create better and better forecasts over time. So we've introduced our measure of forecast error. We just are talking about, okay, what are we actually forecasting here? That's where we started to talk about, oh, you know, wouldn't it be interesting to know sales going into 2022? So we'd want to know them for the end of this year plus next year. Plus, since we're extending upon what we were doing during the week, we can also potentially forecast the number of plants. And I just realized we could even do the, the number of employees here. So let's see, what was the, we don't want to bite off more than we can chew here. I think we could maybe add this series as forecast the weekly number of employees. And for all of these, I'm restricting the time frame to after, for June and after of 2020, because sales were shut down in Massachusetts from March the 24th to, I believe, May 24th or so. And so, although that's informative data, it's going to throw a monkey wrench into our forecasts. That's another technique you'll sort of learn as you're forecasting that it's not a perfect science, right? Because where you begin your training data matters. And so that could even, and so as you're starting to find out, there's many, 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 many ways you can create forecasting models. And so a good forecaster may have, I mean, you know, they may have dozens of forecasting models, right? Because think about how many variations you can have, right? I mean, first off, 
how, how long is your training period going to be? Do you use all available data? Do you cut it off at 2020-06 like we're doing? Do you just use the past year? Do you just use the past six months? This matters. And there's a way that you can measure it, right? So you could potentially create a forecasting model where, say, the past six months, past year, past year and a half, those would be three different forecasting models. And then you would compare the root mean squared error from those three. And, you know, you would gravitate towards the model that has the lowest root mean squared error over time. So I wouldn't necessarily throw out all your models after, say, one period. But, you know, let it play out and, you know, just keep track of this root mean squared error over time. And so we'll start with this model and then you know over time we'll just add and adapt our model so let's see if the weekly employees is irrational and this is another technique that we're going to introduce here in a second one of the assumptions built in to our forecasting models i thought we would use the arima technique and just look at a singular series so last week we did a bar which is a vector of variables with an autoregressive component. This week, we'll just look at series by series, so one at a time, where it's got an autoregressive integrated, which means a difference, and then the moving average, which is your trend, you know, your fluctuating trend. And so the reason you need to integrate, say take the difference, is there's this obvious trend component here in the weekly employee. And one of our assumptions that's built into the ARIMA model is our series needs to be what's called stochastic, random. This isn't a random series. It's increasing over time. So you have to centrally take the difference of this series until it's random, right? So if you take the difference, you'll see that the chain in, so this is, you know, the difference, you know, the other, the, you know, the nominal change in employees week to week, it's starting to look random. It's not entirely random yet, right? You see there's, oh, there's still maybe some monthly spikes, but it's starting to become more random. And the idea is, well, say, let's take the difference of the difference, right? Because you can essentially back this out, right? Because if you just apply the change to the last period, you can still forecast. So the idea is if you just keep differencing the series, it will become more and more stochastic, where at a certain point, there's not much of a difference when you take it yet another difference. So that's one way to make your series stochastic. Another way is you can take the change in logs so for example you can just take the log of weekly employees not stochastic you can do the change in log and then you're given you're you now have quite a stochastic series we'll try this out so essentially when we're forecasting the weekly employees we'll want to forecast essentially the log difference, and then back that out from the last observation. So for example, what we'll do is say we're 
forecasting the difference of the log of employees. We'll take the last observation. We'll add the difference. And then you can then take the exponent to get the 9952, 9952. You know, given there is, you know, a, you know this slight rounding error. Um, but, um, but nonetheless, you know, that's, you know, how you go about forecasting with log differences. And so we'll need to do that with weekly employees. It wouldn't hurt to do it as well with all of this series. There's a good chance we're going to do that here momentarily. First, let's just forecast it with just the standard series just to, to see what's going to happen. I'll share this script with you. I'm relying heavily on stats models, ARIMA model. And these are two functions I've written here that I'll share with you. And essentially what it does is it just runs a for loop through P's and Q's to select the, you know, the best fitting ARIMA model. This doesn't actually iterate over I. Well, that's why we're, we're going to do the the I, the integration ourselves manually with the log difference. There's room to expand upon this function here by adding a for loop for the number of I's that you would like to do. Perhaps we really, can expand that in, that in the future. For today, we'll just use these functions as is just for expediency's sake. Without for, further ado, let's do some forecasting. It's just, just an example of how you can fit it in a RIMA model. I'll just show you just, just to, so that we all know what we're talking about here. So remember from our presentation here, actually, did I run through all of this? So we're forecasting 2021 plant or a RIMA model. So remember, we've got two processes going on here. The autoregressive, where today's values depend on values from previous periods, and then moving average where today's values depend on a rolling average of and so essentially you run a regression you estimate the constant alpha plus theta and then you have beta one through beta p and then gamma one through gamma q and then you have your linear regression and then you can just plug in yt, yt minus 1, right, through yt minus p plus 1, right? So you basically plug in the today's values, and you get yt plus 1. And so that's how you do forecasting. So it is the exact same way we did it with the vector autoregression, where you simply plug in your latest values, you get the next period's values. You use your estimated next period's values with your historic values to estimate the period after. And so you do that iteratively, and you can forecast however many periods into the future you wish, hedging that the further you go into the future, the less reliable your model is going to be. We're going to do just this. And here I've essentially written two different models here. So, well, two different estimation functions. In this first function, there's a holdout period. So you'll hold out a certain number of periods. It will fit the model for each PQ. And then it will compare 
and see which was had the lowest root mean squared error within your holdout period. This is an interesting model. I was actually playing around with it this morning and not having the best time fitting any forecasts, but we can still work with it. There's also the ERIMA minimum BIC forecast. And this simply fits all the PQ models yet again and simply selects the model that has the lowest Bayesian information criterion. And so this would basically be which model fits the best in sample. So which model fits the observed data the best, penalizing for number of explanatory variables. I just personally prefer the, the minimum BIC models because it suits my philosophy of use all the data, don't throw any data away. I'm not a big fan of selecting my models based off of a holdout period because I feel like that holdout period is throwing away valuable data, right? So that would basically be saying, okay, we're going to not use any of the observed data from, say, September or October, or maybe half of October, or it could be six months, or what have you. So you basically hold out, or you could hold out at the beginning of the period as well. So there's fancy ways you can do this, but you basically exclude a subset of data and then try to forecast that subset. Theoretically, and you know, I like the idea of it, but I've always just found the the tail end of the data is quite informative, right? So if we're looking at weekly sale, I think you know, the last handful of observations is quite important, and I don't want to throw those away. I've got mixed feelings, so that's why, you know, we still need to to actually measure, right? So instead of just going on feelings, actually compare, okay, which model predicts better, the model built on root mean squared error, in sample root mean squared error, or the model that was built on minimum BIC, the Bayesian information criterion which of those models actually has the lowest out-of-sample root mean squared error that's worthwhile measuring. So it would be worthwhile to, yet again, estimate forecasts with both minimum BIC and with minimum in-sample root mean squared error for a given holdout period. Once again, you'd have to test out which holdout period is appropriate, right? Is two periods an appropriate holdout period? It's five, six, ten, what have you. As you can see, a whole nother dimension for variability in your forecasting model. So without further ado, I was holding out this last observation here, and I think I'll go ahead and include everything except for the last observation because basically if you look at weekly sales what's going on here is we only really have data through you know it looks like even the 26th may not be fully counted yet so we really only have data through october 25th so we're going to need to essentially predict the last week of october and then four weeks in november and then really five weeks here in December. So it looks like about 10 weeks to go until the end of the year. So we're basically use all the weekly sales from 2026 one onwards, except for this last week, which is sort of a 
it would be misleading to include this. So without further ado, let's fit a model. So as you can see, we're testing out all these different AR or ARIMA PQs. Note, we're not taking any differences. So we're basically trying out all these different models. Some of them are converging, some are not. We see the BIC of infinity. That means the model failed to converge. And these are our forecasts. And this is what I was trying to improve upon earlier is not very dynamic. So I think there's room to improve on this model. So we're basically saying, oh, an AR10 is the best. So as you can see, you know, this is our, our forecast. I would like to add a bit more dy dynamicism, <laughs> right? So right now we're just, you know, predicting, you know, sales are going to dip down in the, in the coming weeks, which may not be a bad forecast, you know, given, given the data here. So I think we can improve upon this though. So for example, let's do exactly what we were talking about and take the log difference. We're now going to do our sales forecast, log sales. Uh, I have a question. Can I ask? Yes. Yeah. So uh, this forecast is uh, all the weeks, right? So taking all the weeks into account and uh, you are forecasting, right? Can you say that one more time? Please. So this forecast is uh, all the weeks, right? You are taking all the weeks and forecasting. Taking Exactly. Into so all, all the weeks from 2020, 2020, 06, 07 onwards. So about 74 weeks. And I'm, yeah, sure. and I'm excluding this last week here. And I think I also need to exclude the first week, what's called stochastic series here. Interesting, interesting, interesting. So for whatever reason, we're having a hard time converging on this series here. Interesting. So let's maybe just take the, the difference then. Uh, the two additional things that I would do so besides from, you know, taking the, the difference is I would do what we started to talk about last week, where you would actually like to add in effects. So once again, the difference is still not a good forecast here. So unfortunately, it really looks like this is going to be our best bet here. So we can improve upon this, but for now, we'll just use this moving forward because I wanted to walk away today with a beautiful visualization. So we can create the visualization, talk about how it can be extended upon. The way I would extend upon this is in a couple ways. One, I was thinking, oh, if we're predicting daily data, we could actually add a holiday fixed effect. Because basically, you know, it got me thinking that, you know, tomorrow is Halloween. So we could potentially do a sh very short-term prediction, right? You can do some real interesting things here. So if you're working with daily data, I find it informative to add a day of the week fixed effect. So this would be having a dummy variable for, say, you would exclude one, one of the days, but say you would have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, dummy variables. And then that would say, okay, how significantly different are these days from Sunday. So you essentially exclude one of the days of the week, which will be your benchmark. And then you compare all of the other days to that day. So you say, okay, how much busier is Friday than Monday? Or how much busier is Thursday than Monday? So essentially 
pick a day that you would like to serve as your benchmark. And then you can add fixed effects for the weeks, weekdays. I find this is useful. Another one I was thinking was you could potentially add holiday fixed effects. So Pandas has an interesting calendar and you can get the holidays without you know too much trouble here. So long story short, this is yet another interesting forecast we could do would just be to predict a real short-term forecast. Um, so you could do a real short-term forecast with daily data. So that way you can get accurate, real accurate forecasts for the coming week, right? And then you could add in week fixed effects, holiday fixed effects, and get real nice forecasts here.